there. I am Dr. Amy King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is The Most Important Medicine. If you don't know me, I'm a licensed psychologist, trainer, and consultant, and on this podcast, we are here to talk about how trauma and providing a space for patients to share their experiences is truly how we will transform medicine. I work with providers and healthcare organizations on the daily, and every time we begin these conversations, and I even hint about discussions about trauma or talking about trauma with patients, I met with either one of two things, either intense, compassionate curiosity, or a whole lot of skepticism, and sometimes a little bit of both. And that's what we're here for to make understanding and discussing trauma accessible, and even more important, how to respond to trauma so that you feel competent as a provider. (laughs) Every time you join me, we will talk about practical information and leave with tangible tools that you can use with patients right away. So um, today I'm doing a little bit more background into why it's important to talk about trauma. And when I'm doing these episodes that are just by myself and not interviewing someone else, I might be looking at my notes a little bit more than when I'm in interview mode, because I find if I'm not structured, I might go off in different tangents. So if that's why you see me looking down, that's why today, for those of you that are are watching recordings, Um, I want to start with a story that just lends itself a bit into like why I wanted to do this podcast and why I think talking about trauma is important and how it relates to the work I did and kind of how I got there and what I'm hoping. Um, So lots of years of experience, you know, I've been doing trauma-informed work and working in the area of trauma for over 23 years now as a psychologist. And in my private practice, I treat things, everything from anxiety, depression, divorce, adjustment, relocation. Um, I work with patients of all ages, um, but tend to focus around families, family dynamics. Um, My work with adults is often around complex trauma or kind of resolving trauma from their childhood or being better parents. Um, But everything from um, kind of, you know, your run-of-the-mill mental health needs to very, very complex abuse and trauma histories, including physical and sexual child abuse, both in kids and in adults that are recovering from trauma. When I was going through my residency to prepare for this, if you will, um, I really had no idea uh, what trauma would look like um, in the patients that I was working with. I'd certainly done some rotations and I worked with kids, but not to the intensity that I did in my residency. Um, I had a lot of interesting experiences in my residency, and like many of you, um, the amount of hours and time that go into our residencies just give us this like flood of of, um, work and immersion really in the work that we do with our patients, unlike any other time in our lives. So mine was a combination of um, one day a week, I would go and I would do these early home visits, dyad visits, if you will, between moms or dads and their children. And for me, having done my residency in Portland, Oregon, what that meant was a lot of hotel visits, apartment visits, some home visits, some early childhood um, centers, care centers. Um, I did a lot of termination of parental rights, um, you know, preparing the parent and the child for termination. Um, and to be honest, the, the home visits were pretty sad. Um, 
And then um, not that they weren't rewarding as well, but um, just the seeing such acute trauma at early ages and, and recognizing now what we would call intergenerational trauma. But at the time, I don't know that that was well um, versed for me or well defined for me as a practitioner, as a young practitioner, for sure. Um, and then another day a week, I would do some assessments and I would do some group therapy. And on the other side of the week on my um, from early childhood home visits was this experience with the Oregon Youth Authority and youth that were incarcerated um, young adults. And wow, um, that was an experience. Um, what I realized pretty quickly in my work with the youth authority and incarceration was that um, I was doing these early childhood home visits and reading the files that were like this thin, right? Um, like I'm, you can't, if you can't see me, I'm making like maybe like a half of an inch, right? Thick of a file or thin of a file, if you will. Um, and then by the time I was working with them when they were 14 or 17 or 18 or 21, their file was like, you know, a foot deep. Um, and what I realized as a, a resident was this is the same file, this file that I'm seeing from the kids who are, you know, two and four is the same file that I'm seeing at 16 and 18, just with a lot more trauma and no help, no resources or failed resources or very few supports or just, you know, compounding stressors for these kids. And I would plead with my at the time, residency supervisor at Oregon Youth Authority, and say, I, I think that the that the Axis One diagnosis should be post traumatic stress disorder, and I kind of got this pushback, right? Like now, it should be, you know, uh, um, disruptive behavior disorder or depression or an Axis Two sociopathy. Um, but I felt like, gosh, I don't think so. I think this is all grounded back to trauma. And in hindsight, I, I was right. You know, what we now identify as adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, um, complex trauma that's different from tolerable stress and trauma, which, which we'll go into in, in more depth in, in further episodes. But there's a name for a lot of that now that I didn't have access to as a young resident. And really what I was looking at was complex trauma, right? These kids that had had trauma over the course of their life with little access to resources or support. Um, and that's when I became really passionate about working with kids, working with families, working with trauma and intervening and naming these things sooner in their lives and really trying to build these buffering mechanisms with adults and resources and communities that could help them begin to heal really. So that's kind of how I got into the work around trauma. I, I got to tell you that my graduate program, I did a lot of work in um, pediatric health, in integrated behavioral health, in um, understanding medical trauma and stress and intersections of trauma, of course, and preparing me for, for counseling patients. But I don't think it prepared me for the amount of trauma that we see, um, for the kinds of inequity of care for kids, families, adults in our communities that, that we see daily. Um, so 
to me, when I think about making this podcast, I think about sharing information about trauma in a really meaningful way. Um, and even though I know that medical programs and residencies are trying to do a better job about mental health awareness, social determinants of health, trauma screening, I think there's a long way to go. Um, so when I talk about trauma on this podcast, when I invite guests in, it's also because I, I want you to know you're not alone. Um, if you went into this work because you love it and you're passionate about it, and now you're having all of these intersections of stress and trauma and overwhelm and burnout, and I, I want you to know that this is a normal part of being a provider in healthcare. I want to create a space to talk about these stories. And so many of you have told me about the immense trauma that you witness or experience daily, both with your patients, with your team, in hospitals, in your own lives, or how the trauma you experienced growing up gets triggered because of the work that you do. Um, I mean, let's face it, most of us are in helping healing professions because we want things to feel better than they felt for us. And so when you tell me about that and these experiences, I just feel like I want to create this space where we have time to process, where we sit in and listen to each other's stories. Um, that way you're not handling it alone, right? There's shared experience then. Um, because I got to tell you, after my residency, not, not after, during my residency, I definitely had PTSD from what I was seeing. I, I know that now at the time I was just stressed and I was like, no more sad TV, no more sad movies, no news can be on at the house. I only want happy, joyful things to surround me. Well, those are signs of post-traumatic stress. I was experiencing vicarious stress and trauma from the patients that I was working with. Um, I was being flooded with memories of my own childhood hurts. Um, so I had to take a really deep reflective moment, reach out for help and support. And um, all that's for another episode. We'll, we'll talk about what self-care really means and, and not just fluffy self-care, right? We all know we could eat better and exercise more for Pete's sake, but, but really self-compassionate self-care, we'll circle back there. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, I always joke about this when I present it with large uh, groups of people, like my passion is to be out of a job. I want so many people to know about trauma, know what trauma looks like, how it manifests, um, what to do about it, that we heal communities of people by being with them in those spaces. Um, part of my passion is that every professional in the healthcare field knows about trauma, knows how it presents, knows what it looks like. And further, I want them to know what to do about it and how to address stress diversity and how to help patients and families create these buffering mechanisms to heal. I inherently believe that people in communities have power to heal. And I believe that it often just takes one person, you, me, or a group, that really believes in them and guides them. So I also don't think that we can talk about trauma and help heal our patients if we're not talking about the trauma we experience by being helpers in these professions. Um, so to not get away with that, what I'm saying here is I, 
I also want you to know that I'll be really clear with you over and over and over again that the secret sauce in all of this is our humanness, our humanity. So often people will ask me when I'm presenting about the most important aspects of treating trauma, right? Like what's the model? What's the way? Or how do we create resilience? I go back to one thing. If we could look at many, many models and we will, and I'll ask all of you, what creates meaning? What gives balance to you? To me, what it goes back to is connection. Sharing my story, listening to yours, listening to patients, listening to communities, and then realizing, oh, I see myself in you. I've been there. You're not alone. We all carry trauma. Unresolved or not, right? I mean, like, let's face it. Some of us are really aware of the things that we've gone through and some of us are not aware at all. You know, sometimes I used to fantasize about like post-it notes, um, like people wearing these little post-it notes on their bodies that said what they were going through. And I think we would be so much more empathic. But I think since we don't, I guess we just have to assume that we're all carrying around stuff. And when we understand trauma and how prevalent it is, it inherently will make us more empathic. Imagine, right? Like my little post-it note fantasy. If you saw these post-it notes that said, my mom just died, or I'm going through a divorce, or I'm pregnant, but I don't think I'll be a good mom, or I wish I was dead, or I'm really struggling just to stay sober today. Wouldn't we just be different? Uh, wouldn't our patients treat us differently and we would treat them and the colleagues and the staff that we work with if we knew that we were just a bunch of people carrying around hurt, unresolved hurt, resolved hurt, therapized hurt, non-worked non on stuff that we just carry around? So really, I really want to take the intimidation out of talking about trauma and I want us to share stories because I really think that that's how we'll heal. I want you to think about talking about trauma and sharing stories, your own and your patients, just like you would any other vital sign or medical history, right? It's part of us. It shapes us. It's part of what we have to know about and collect. And only if we know about it, can we do something about it? And sometimes the doing is just being. You know, we'll talk later about barriers to talking about trauma, and I'm going to invite a guest on who really does a beautiful job talking about all the fears that we have as medical providers and healthcare providers talking about trauma and how, in actuality, none of those things come true. It's not this big, bad, scary thing to talk about. Um, so if you could just amuse me for one minute, and I'll, I'll highlight a story about that. Um, I'm looking down at some notes here. Um, you know, I still remember one of the first little kids that I worked with that had experienced immense trauma. Um, we'll call her Caitlin for the purpose of this story. But I remember this little four-year-old um, redheaded, freckled-faced little girl um, and all the work that we did together week in and week out to build trust, to work through an immense amount of trauma that she had had in just very four very short years. 
and, and her incredible foster parent who never stopped believing in her or in the work that we were doing together. Um, and as I mentioned before, you know, this work around kids and trauma and her foster mom and what it triggered in her and her own trauma as an adult um, is heavy, messy, and yet beautiful work. Do you know that my number one treatment goal with this little girl was to get messy? Um, she'd been really severely beaten every time she made a mess. Um, and so one of my number one treatment goals was to get messy. So we had to work a lot around discomfort around me making a mess first. And so I would make messes with Legos and paint and, you know, like finger paint and messing things up and putting my hands in sand and dirt and mud and walking around and, you know, knocking over toys and being okay with the fact that they were scattered around my office and little by little by little, because we were in relationship together and she was beginning to trust me and her foster mom would come in and be okay with the messes and, and then, encourage the messes at home. And over time, what happened is that this little being realized that it was okay to make mistakes, that not all the adults in her life were scary. And, you know, some days when you're showing up for kids or adults, you just feel like you're kind of plodding through, right? And um, you're wondering if you're making progress at all, right? And, and especially when it comes to trauma, it's like, wow, you want me to talk about trauma in a 15-minute appointment? Um, but the answer is just the being with, just asking often helps people feel healed. And with this little girl, just showing up for her regularly, right? Being that calm, present, consistent adult, pretty soon she came in one day and, and she rolled up her sleeves and she was ready to get messy, and I will never forget the day this little girl took a big splotch of paint and put it on my nose and just giggled with delight. She giggled. Um, she was so proud of herself. And it was like this much of a movement physically and, and a huge movement for her emotionally. And that's the work that we do. And that's the work I want to share on this podcast, how we can have this huge impact when we embrace stories and storytelling and, and what it's like for us as practitioners. Um, so that's it. I want us to talk more about what trauma looks like and how it presents and what it looks like in different patients from different backgrounds and in different communities. Um, I want to talk about this, what I call messy tough, rewarding, beautiful, hard stuff that we all go through. I just want it to be less alone. So that's why I want to put it out there into a podcast so that we're less alone in this work that we're doing in mucking through our own trauma and working with our patients who have trauma. All right. That's it for today, friends. Uh, the people and any websites that I mentioned will be in the show notes. Nothing too fancy. I want you to always have these goodies. The best thing you can always do for yourself is go to my website, www.dramyllc.com and subscribe to my newsletter. It is free for all of you. It's tons of relatable information, um, stories, tools that will really transform your practice. And it comes out every week. 
And if you like that, if you like what you're hearing in that space, I want you to join us for the Provider Lounge. It's a community to build resilience. It's a membership for providers to have access to all of my training materials about resilience building um, and early relational health um, and creating those buffers. So it's part content and then it's also part community. So we meet monthly, sometimes more, and we get continuing medical education while also getting doses of important information and like a little bit of therapy, right, for you as well. Um, so part content, part community, it's really an incredible group of providers who work together in a learning collaborative and lean into conversations about trauma and resilience and other tough questions that come up in primary care. This is really the most important medicine. Keep listening, listen to each other's stories, listen to people's stories, let them transform you and keep sharing your own because your humanity will heal others. All right, we'll talk soon.